0: God's word for us to consider this morning for a little bit as we celebrate the gift of mothers to us is from Acts chapter 16. I invite if you'd like to open up your own Bibles and follow along. Uh, Or if you don't have a Bible with, you're certainly welcome to turn to page 6 and follow along with us there. There's a few notes for us on pages 11 and 12 as we consider this word here. Uh, Let's begin as we come before the Lord with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth, for your word alone is truth. Amen. I don't know who to trust anymore. I've heard comments like that a few times over the last uh, few weeks. I've made comments like those over the last few weeks. I wonder if any of you have, have said the same, same thing. I don't know who to trust. If you have at all been engaged uh, in following along, you know, if you're thinking and you're feeling and you're desiring uh, about the, the, the pandemic and you've got all of this information, I don't see any way that you can possibly say, oh, yeah, I've got it all figured out and I know exactly who to trust. Man, there is just there's just so much. How can you say, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely feel I don't know who, who to trust anymore. Now, that's not to say that I'm totally skeptical of, of everybody and everything. I, I trust plenty of people to the extent that I, I know that they can manage whatever, uh, whatever situation they're dealing with. But, big picture, right? Broadly speaking, the, the biggest stuff, I just you end up saying, I, I don't know who to trust. I can't, I can't decide anymore. I wonder, who do you trust? I mean, really, practically, right, down to life. You know, I've I've got my, my mechanic, and I trust him to fix my car. I've got my IT guy, and I trust him to, to fix my computer when, it, when it's broken. i got my tax guy, and I trust him to, to take care of my taxes. i got the guy who comes and, and fixes the roof on my house. Uh, and I've got a whole list of people, a whole cadre of people that I trust for various things in my life. Who do you trust? Broadly speaking, who are the people that you trust the most? You've got a, a little spot there in your service folder if you'd like. Take, uh, take 30 seconds and write down three names of some of the people that you trust the most In your life, who do you trust? If you looked at my list. You'd see on my list, the two of the top three names are, are women. Uh, the first one's probably my wife, the mother of my children. The second one is my mom. Isn't that sweet? Thank you. Yes, I know. Uh, you know, and, and the other one would be a, a fellow pastor who I tell practically everything in my life to. Those are the people that I, I trust more than anything. And I think it's wonderful that I can put... Two ladies on that list, it, you know, it just makes me a little happy uh, to think about that out of everybody in the world. I mean, I don't trust them to do my IT work. I don't trust them to fix my car. Uh, I don't trust them to repair my house. I'm not even sure if I trust them to do my taxes. Uh, but I do trust them that if I say, here, this is, this is what I really care about. This is my heart. This is my life. These are the things that are important to me. Uh, I know they will treasure those things and and protect them. And and that's awesome. Uh, You know, you think they're not superheroes. I mean, everybody says moms are superheroes, and that's great. Uh, But they don't wear a cape and fly around like Captain America and rescue the universe. Uh, My mom is not a politician or a CEO. Uh, My mom has not won the Nobel Peace Prize, and yet I, I trust her. I trust her. Why is that? Why is that? You know, it 's interesting right this today we 've got two ladies in this lesson from God who who don 't just invite us to trust them. they say, here, trust in something far greater than us, trust in someone far greater than us and so let 's see that from Acts chapter sixteen. Paul and Timothy and his companions have come to this city of Philippi they had out of the city of Philippi on a Sabbath day, they go to a place alongside what we think is the Kurnides River, the Kurnides River, where they sit down, they pray, they, it's here that it tells us they discuss, they speak about the word with people. And then we, we go further on in the lesson. It says that they heard this message. What that is saying to us is they engaged in rational discussion. They, they engaged in a, a, a rational conversation. They engaged their minds. But they engaged their minds to explore the beauty of God. And this is a, a wonderful thing. You think, here's, here's the, the people, Paul, they're not, they're not in a church building. They've gone to the side of a river so that they can practice their convictions. They worship, they pray, and they, they discuss, they use their minds. And yet, they're, they're using their minds— Paul uses his mind. Lydia used her mind. The key thing happens when, when it says the Lord opened her, and that's Lydia. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. There's something going on here, more than just the thinking of their minds. It, you know, it makes me think about a, a man who said, um, he said, I, I need to, to talk with you. I, I'm, is it okay if I sit down and, and this wasn't me, it was a somebody else right but I'm stealing this story from somebody else is it okay if I sit down and make a list of all of the things that I have have done in my life that really bug me because there are a lot of days where I wake up in the morning and I am so physically in pain that I can not get going I, I I'm so physically in pain I'm sick because of the things that I've done I'm just weighed down with all of this shame can I make a list and I can I sit down and and tell these things to you sometime You think, what would religion tell that guy? Religion would tell that guy, here's how to fix your life. Here's the things that you need to do to make your life better. Uh, And and maybe psychology would tell that guy, here's how you need to think differently about those things so that you can can think better in your life. And, And maybe his friends or his family would say, here's how you feel differently about the things in your life so that you can handle those things. God shows us through Lydia this morning, he says, the Lord opened her heart, something far greater than just thinking differently or feeling differently, or even, even, even having a, a different way of living, a different conviction needs to happen. We need to have our hearts opened. In, in the Bible, the word heart, it, it's always a metaphor. The heart is a metaphor for our deepest commitments. It's a, a metaphor for our self-convictions. self, uh, self convictions. It's our thinking and our feeling and our, our convictions all wrapped up in one. Your heart is is your person. That's why Solomon says, um, he says this, he says in his wisdom, he says, watch out or take care of watching your heart for everything you do flows from it. He's showing us, you and me, he's saying, if, if you want to, fix your life, you want to watch your life change your thinking and your feeling and your convictions, so that something else happens, then you need to watch, first of all, your heart. Something greater has to happen. And and so he's saying this is what real religion, good religion does. It it opens our hearts. Right religion, good religion needs to open our hearts. And, And so the question is, can Christianity do that? can can the gospel can Christianity open our our hearts and our our lives? There's two examples here today in this lesson there There's two women Christianity doesn't have a very good uh track record, maybe you could say with women um, A lot of religion doesn't but but Christianity doesn't either. Take the example of Abraham, the father of the faith Abraham was a not a good man in in the way he treated his wife. Uh, he, He convinced his wife, he gave his wife away to a political leader, and then he convinced his wife to lie about their marriage. And then he did that not once, but twice. What a guy, huh? Uh, or if you want a more modern example, you take something like seven brides for seven brothers. I realize it's a, a farcical story, but I have to imagine it happened more than once. You know, where the, where the brothers go and steal women so that they can have wives. And then they say, to top it all off, oh, we forgot the pastor. We better go steal the pastor so we can force him to marry uh, these women to us. Well, who says that about their religion, Right. Uh, and so what, a, what a, terrible examples. And, and yet there are, there are plenty of good examples uh, of women who respond differently to Christianity that make me realize there's something much more going on here. I think about somebody um, that I've been looking into named Rebecca McLaughlin. Rebecca McLaughlin, she was an undergrad at Cambridge University in England when she first came across the biblical teaching uh, in Ephesians 5. And she read that sentence that says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and she she was repulsed. She said, That's you've gotta be joking. That's crazy. I, I would never I would never do that. She was totally repulsed by it. Then she spent time thinking about it and praying about it and and uh, she she lived as a, a Christian for a few years. And after a few years, and I'm I'm kind of summarizing here what she says, or I'm paraphrasing, but she ended up saying now Ephesians, Ephesians 5 used to repulse me. Now it convicts me and it calls me toward Jesus, the true husband who satisfies my needs, the one man who truly deserves my submission. And she's by no means the only one, is she? First, we've got two ladies today. The first one is named Lydia. She's a dealer in fine purple. Purple dye in the ancient world was incredibly rare. It was very hard to come by. So she is a wealthy businesswoman. She is a dealer in luxury items and fine goods. She's got a penthouse, not just in Grand Rapids, but it, probably in Detroit and in New York City. I mean, she's that kind of a famous woman. She's also moral and religious. It. it It uses the term, it says she is a worshiper of God. That's a kind of technical term to say that she was somebody who was trying out the Hebrew Bible and and trying to worship the God of the Hebrew Bible. That's how, how serious of a woman she was as a religious person. And yet, did you catch what happened at the end? It says after the Lord opened her heart, she invited Paul to her house and said, "'If you judge me to be a believer.'" If you judge me to be a believer, if you consider me a believer, that word consider it, it means like judge. So she was saying, Paul, I'm going to let you judge me. I-, I wonder how many of you would let me say, Yes, you're a Christian. No, you're not a Christian. Would you let me judge you like that? This woman was willing to say that. The other woman is nothing like her, she's a slave woman, she has a, a spirit. A pythonic spirit, it says, so that she can tell the, fort- the future. She's enslaved to that spirit. She's also enslaved to her masters. She's exploited. She's abused. They, they take advantage of her. And still, Paul comes and says to her, spirit, get out of her. And the spirit gets right out of her. What do we see in both of these women? Do they, do they make excuses? Do they say, well, Christianity, you know, I'm a moral person. I got my life all straightened out. I, I'm religious. I, got, I, I do pretty good in life. I don't need this, this religion, this gospel thing, this Jesus thing. I don't, you know, I don't need that. Uh, does the other woman say, I'm spiritual, Paul. I, I've got a spirit in me, and I'm a very spiritual person, and, and I don't need your spirituality. I don't need you to be my pastor or any of that. Neither of them say that, do they? One commentator, well, all the commentators point out that in this lesson, we meet all three elements of religion in the ancient world. We meet Judaism, the the God of the Hebrew Bible, and the God of Paul. We meet the the Roman gods, and we meet the spirit world. And and Jesus says to each and every one of them, you don't need a synagogue anymore. I am the way. And, And I am the... The true son of the gods. You don't need the Roman list of gods. And the spirits, they quake at me. None of these women, neither of them, can, can excuse themselves from the claims of, of Jesus. See, and that's, that's the thing. If Christianity is going to open our hearts, then we need to stop ruling our hearts. We, we, will, we need to give up that, that rule of our hearts, don't we? We need to let that happen. You know, one of the exam- best examples in the Bible of, of mothering is a woman named Hannah. Hannah was childless. She prayed to God for a child. She got a child. She had that child. She raised him for a few years until he was able to live a little independently. And then she took her small child four or five, maybe seven years old, and she gave him away. She gave him to God for service in his world. She named that boy Samuel. Samuel means I asked the Lord or I asked God. She called him Samuel, saying I prayed for him. My mother always tells me that, uh, and I think I can tell you this and I won't be you know, embarrassing her or any way, that that the thing she does for me the most, probably now as she has her whole life, is just, just pray for me. Kids drive mothers crazy sometimes, right? We need lots of prayers. <laughs> Samuel's mother, Hannah, did way more than just pray. Samuel's mother, Hannah, it says, she poured out her heart. She says, I'm pouring out my heart before the Lord. That's how serious seriously she prayed. There was one thing in the world that she was willing to pray for. For her child. Like that. When Jesus was on the cross, he he said the words of Psalm 22 many times, and there's one verse in the Psalm 22, verse 14, that says this. It says, My heart, my heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. What Jesus went through on the cross his own heart, right? the center of his, his self-determination, his, his thinking, his feeling, and his convictions, he poured out his heart. He didn't keep his mind and, and his feelings and his convictions to himself. He poured out everything that he was on that cross. And there was one thing in this entire world That he was willing to pour himself out for his children, you and me. He isn't just gonna change your thinking, he isn't just gonna change your feelings, he's not just going to change your convictions. He's gonna give you a new heart. He he says to you, You are you. I made you in the image of God, You're, you're wonderful. I would love nothing more, though, to see you have a new heart. I will pour out my heart so you can have mine. Friends, rise up in that message. I have given you a new heart. It's, it's greater than all of your thinking, greater than your feeling, greater than every conviction that you have. You and I can all say we've got somebody out there we can trust more than anything, and he has put himself right in here, right in there. Rise up for this gospel. God is greater than our hearts. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we, we understandably distrust so many people in the world people are evil they take advantage of us they misuse us and so our hearts become skeptical shameful hurt and everything else we pray that your gospel first would open our hearts and then we would stop trying to rule our hearts and let you pour your hearts into us give us this new heart Jesus for your sake. Amen.